Have you ever had that heart-stopping moment when you realized you forgot the password to a critical account? I have, and that's exactly why I switched to 1Password years ago, and honestly, it's been a game-changer. I can't do without 1Password, and I know that if you give it a try, you will feel the same way. And when you support our sponsors, then you support the show. So I encourage you to check out what 1Password has to offer One of the things 1Password has to offer is it combines top-tier security with an award-winning design, making password management a breeze for anyone, anywhere. From the moment I started using 1Password, I said goodbye to the days of resetting passwords and worrying about security breaches. You see, 1Password isn't just about convenience. It's about saving you from the real cost of data breaches and the daily time suck of password resets. It works seamlessly across all your devices, filling in passwords for you so that you can sign in with a click. And the best part, all you need to do is remember one strong password that protects everything else. I've been using 1Password for as long as I can remember. My family is using it. Everyone in this household has bought in. It's, again, a game changer. It's completely transformed how I handle my digital security and my family feels the same way. We've gotten away from using the same passwords again and again and again, or sticky note reminders or having that notebook that says passwords I must remember. Plus, 1Password is trusted by millions, including giants like IBM and Slack. With 1Password, my digital life and my family's digital life is not only more secure, but infinitely simpler. And look, if you've ever been frustrated by a family member constantly asking for passwords, 1Password's secure sharing has been a total relationship saver for me. It's so secure that the Associated Press relies on it in high-risk areas, which means it's more than capable of keeping your digital life safe and streamlined. So why not make the switch? Protect yourself, your family, and your business with 1Password. It's the simple and secure way to manage your digital life. And right now, listeners of A Productive Conversation get a free two-week trial at onepasswordcom slash ProductiveConvo. That's two free weeks at onepasswordcom slash productive convo. Again, onepasswordcom slash productive convo. Check out one password. I know you'll fall in love with it like my whole family has. Again, that's onepasswordcom slash productive convo for two free weeks. Check it out today. Have you ever considered the impact your work environment has on your health and your productivity? Enter uplift desk a revolutionary standing desk designed to transform the way you work and that's just the beginning of what uplift desk has to offer with an emphasis on ergonomics and customization uplift desk offers a solution that caters to the dynamic needs of modern professionals whether you're coding designing or podcasting like i am right now the flexibility to switch between sitting and standing can significantly enhance your focus and vitality What makes Uplift Desk stand out is not just their commitment to quality and innovation, but also their dedication to creating a healthier workspace. With options to customize from over 100 desktop materials and a plethora of accessories, Uplift Desk ensures that your work setup is uniquely yours, promoting better posture and movement throughout the day. And here's an offer to get you started on a healthier work journey starting today. Go to upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting for 5% off your order. That's up 
liftdesk.com slash timecrafting to get 5% off your entire order. Your health, your productivity, your future self will thank you. Again, that's upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting and get 5% off your entire order today. This episode of the Productivityist Podcast is brought to you by Front. Now, if you're ready to transform your team's productivity with efficient email, you can get started with Front for just $9 per month. You can start your free trial too, and I'm going to share with you how to do that during this episode. I've been using Front for a while, and I love it, and I know you will too. So stick around, and I'll talk about Front during this episode of the show. But for now, let's get started with the proceedings. Welcome to the Productivity is Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Vardy. And this week on the show, I am delighted to have on as a guest, Rob Walker. It's funny, I'll tell you a quick story here as we get started. So we get a lot of books, a lot of stuff like that. Some that are solicited, some that aren't for the podcast. And this one was not solicited, but I've been following Rob's work on his newsletter for quite a while. And my wife, uh, she was going out for an errand and the postman came by and and there was an envelope and I'm like, oh, a book. I'm like, okay, great. And I opened it up and I was elated to see that Rob's new book was there, The Art of Noticing. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk talk about noticing, the art of noticing. Now, Rob is a journalist who covers design and technology and business and the arts and other subjects. Uh, he writes the human resource column for Lifehacker and has contributed to the New York Times, Bloomberg, Businessweek, The Atlantic, NewYorker.com, Design Observer, the, and so many others. Um, the Art of Noticing is just hit shelves. Uh, I'm a real, real fan of his work, and I know that this conversation is going to be something that you're going to enjoy. In fact, uh, you may want to come back in case you missed something along the way, you know, because there's always something new to notice in a conversation. See what I did there? There we go. Uh, he's got a various uh, bunch of side projects that he's working on as well. But I, I, right out of the gate, go to the Art of Noticing newsletter at tinyletter.com slash Rob Walker. Uh, again, I can't recommend Rob's work enough. So much that let's just get in that conversation. So now, now I've, I've, I've basically amped him up and now it's time for you to hear my conversation with Rob Walker here on the Productivityist Podcast. I'd like to welcome Rob Walker to the Productivityist Podcast. Rob, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Mike. I'm happy to be here. Right out of the gate, I want to share with those listening how I came to notice you. Um, and it was through... Uh, Austin Cleon's newsletter, who I've been a, you know, he's been on the show before. I'll link to his episode in the show notes. Whenever there's, there's very few newsletters that I subscribe to nowadays, mainly trying to keep my inbox kind of clear. Uh, and when he recommended that I take a look at your, at your, your newsletter, it was about five, five, six, I guess about six months ago now when you're just revamping it and the title, you know, like the, like just no, the term noticing was what stuck out to me right away. It's like, you know, this is because I'm a big big fan of awareness. I think awareness is one of the big building blocks of personal productivity and time management. But what role does noticing play in that in that whole scheme of awareness and, and clarity? Like can you can you kind of dig into that? And then we'll dig into why the book, which we're we're holding on to here, The Art of Noticing, 130 Ways to Spark Creativity, Find Inspiration and Discover Joy in the Everyday, where that plays in. But what is how do you define noticing and how does it play a role in in, you know, basically how we how we how we craft our lives? Well, I guess what got me attracted to this as a subject, I mean, I, probably some of this I don't, I don't have to, I don't have to probably do a big uh, effort to convince you that 
we're kind of in a time of distraction where people want your attention all the time. Um, you've probably heard that before. Uh, and, you know, I was interested in that, concerned about that, just like everybody else, and trying to think about what, you know, can really realistically be done about it, thinking about it in terms of my own career as a journalist and a person who's just trying to maintain control over my attention and kind of worried about um, how much of my life is dominated by other people stealing my attention, right? So the basic building block of controlling your own attention in some way is noticing, is sort of tuning into what I want to tune into as opposed to what you or someone else wants me to tune into. And then the more I thought about that, the more I thought about how it relates to creativity and innovation and progress. I mean, nothing really happens until you notice something that other people missed. And so the, the other element of this is that I teach a, a little bit once a year at uh, the uh, School of Visual Arts in, um, in New York, a design program, and the class is called Point of View. And this became this message that um, I was really trying to get across to my students is that uh, what the things that you notice that other people don't notice are always the beginning building block of what makes you have a distinct point of view and stand out as a creative person. One of the things that I think you got to do, and you you kind of mentioned this right out of the gate in the book. In fact, I'll, I'll, I'll quote it a little bit is, uh, you know, um, this book treats the art of noticing as something more profound than a step in the creative process. It's an escape from the cult of productivity and efficiency. <laughs> and, and what's, I, I'm not, there's no pushback here, but I think that when you, when you, when you say that, I'm, I'm hopefully not putting words in your mouth, but it's I almost like the the notion of what productivity and efficiency are. Because I don't believe that productivity and efficiency are about speed and, and go, 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 fast, 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 now, now, now. I think it's almost like a, by by spending some time noticing, um, you're almost redefining it, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that the relationship to productivity, obviously there are thoughtful ways of approaching productivity and efficiency. And I'll, I'll bring up this example. One of the prompts in the book, because the book is built of a series of prompts and provocations and games and things like this. And one of them is um, is change, change a routine. Uh, and so on the one hand, I'm talking about noticing, getting into the habit, doing things that get you in the habit of noticing what, what others have missed. But at the same time, I'm trying to talk about breaking habits because we get into these and this I'm sure you know a lot about there are as as you know in productivity there are a lot of emphases on you know heuristics and rituals and things that like this is the efficient way to do it so that's the way I always do it like let's say how you get to work you know you've probably figured out what your best commute is and that's what you do every day and that makes perfect sense and I think most of the time that's the right thing to do but I also think that sometimes it's a good idea to not take the most efficient way to get somewhere, to not solve the problem the way that you've solved it a million times before, and to get yourself out of, you know, routines that, while they may not have the intent of just making life go by fast, that's kind of what they do. And the the, the way that one of my friends put it is that she's trying, you know, her her sort of meditation practice, mindfulness practice is based on having more having more nows, having more moments that you're really in, as opposed to moments that you're moving through efficiently. So that's kind of where I come down on it. Does that make sense? Yeah, and, and one of the things you right near the tail end, you mentioned Mike Birbiglia. I'm a big comedy fan. The idea mm. of self appointments, right? Like making yeah. appointments with oneself. I think that again, these are to me, it makes total sense to do that, right? But a lot of people, they, it's not something that they quote pay attention to or even notice. It's you know, it's not something that they feel that it seems rather unconventional. And I think a lot of what you're talking about in here, while it 
it through the book and there's lots of prompts and there's, and I know you, you rate them in terms of levels of difficulty to a certain degree, but I think when it comes to this kind of stuff, people are so used to the way that they go about living that they don't take time and, and slow down or even just, uh, you know, have the wherewithal to go, okay, whoa, this, this actually could work. This makes sense. Noticing seems to be the backbone of all this stuff. Yeah. And I think the backbone of curiosity too, which is sort of another, I mean, when I think about the way some people react to the prompts, it's a little bit, you know, aren't, aren't these sort of strange, (laughs) um, but there, in some ways, I think it helps to think of them as childlike. And uh, there's one in the book about like just you know spot the weirdest thing possible at a Walmart or something along those lines. You know these these kind of grinding moments in your life that you have to go through. How can you kind of gamify them and make them these moments of potential awakening? And you know the 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 inspiration there is often children. Children do this all the time. Everything's a game to a kid, you know. Um, and I think that there's a lot that we can learn from that. And and regaining that sense of childlike wonder and curiosity in an authentic way um, helps. And, you know, I I guess I can't say that it helps you be more productive, but I do think it helps you be more um, effective um, in almost any kind of profession. Well, and I think, again, back to what we were talking about, about productive, like what is productive really? Like, I mean, you know what I mean? Like I think this cult of productivity that's been, I mean, I've been, again, studying this for the better part of a decade now. You, you, um, you end up realizing that productivity is, uh, there's, there's what people define as productivity on the whole, like getting as much done as possible uh, and using every ounce of your time to, to that end versus but what if you end up doing the wrong things, right? And I think noticing yeah. helps with that, right? Right. I think I had an interesting conversation once with somebody who I would characterize as a productivity expert in the more traditional sense that you just described. And um, I was curious about his, I asked him like, well, so if you visit Cincinnati or someplace, you know, just some random place, do you have any rituals to like get to know that place or, or whatever? You know, I was, I was just fishing around for stuff I could use in this book. And he said, Oh, well, if I'm, if I'm in a place, something like Cincinnati, and I have downtime, I work in my hotel room. I don't go anywhere because I don't care about Cincinnati. And I thought, well, that's really sad. <laughs> and I hope I'm never that efficient, you know, because I think that you can't know what you're missing if you if you literally don't try to notice anything, right? So if you don't throw yourself into some, some situations now and then and treat your extra hour in a place, even a place you didn't want to be, like that's the place to try the hardest to say like, well, what can I make of being in this place? What opportunity might be here? What can I discover that I didn't, that I didn't know? And I I think in a weird way that is productive, you know, um, more productive than just like, well, I'll, I'll go to, I'll just spend an hour in my hotel answering email. Um, I just, you know, it just made me sad. What led you to spend so much time looking at this, no pun intended, I guess, but exploring this, it's, I mean, I know human beings are naturally curious and there's an exploration component to it. We we are natural explorers, but to dedicate, not just like, it seems like it's, 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 it's a, it's an interesting topic to kind of go into, but it's also one that seems like it could be never ending in in, in a manner of speaking. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so a couple of things. So, um, a a little bit, uh, you know, it was partly on my, this general subject was on my mind because of 
for the sort of cultural reasons that we talked about at the top and then teaching this class and dealing with students and trying to help them. Um, and I thought like, this is an interesting, so, so this goes back four or five years now. So, and I thought like, this is an interesting subject, this kind of war for the war for our attention. And I originally thought I'll write, I'll write a traditional nonfiction book, which I've done before, um, that, you know, an idea book that sort of takes a deep dive into the culture of this war for our attention and so on and so forth. And then at the end of that book, you know, the last chapter will be like 10 ideas for things you can do to fight back, you know, on your day to day. And I noodled around with that for two or three years, making very little progress until I finally realized, like, I don't want to write the first 300 pages of this. I just want to write the last 20. I want that to be the book. I want to just do the part where it's like, here's a bunch of fun ideas for things you can do to notice better or to engage in the world better and to break out of your routine and you know, to learn to use your five senses and, and all of those things, all the things that you can do besides just telling people, because all the advice just boils down to, you know, digital detox, throw away your phone. No one's throwing away their phone. Like, that's not going to happen. What can you give them that's like, this is a fun thing to do that you can work into your day to day? And I became entranced with that. And that, that became, and, and as you say correctly, I do think it's never ending, which, you know, hence the newsletter, which is sort of, more ideas that I couldn't fit in the book or that have come up since I, since I turned it in. So basically you're like the Jerry Maguire of, of noticing. A lot of ways. <laughs> Cause it's like, <laughs> no, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think it's that at all. I mean, I, I, I don't, cause people are like, Oh, well, what, like tell me something that, you know, it's not about like, I'm not Columbo or something. Like I'm not, not about my superpowers as an individual, except maybe the superpower that I am. I, I am boredom is quite a, kind of an interesting subject to me and I, I am effective rarely bored and i and i rarely resort to my phone and i do see things like oh i'm stuck in line at the airport as well here's an opportunity to study other people you know uh, what if what a, what a great free fun bonus now you can't live your life that way completely <laughs> i do have to get stuff done i have deadlines and and, and all that but i do I, I do have a kind of worldview that is such that it's not about your skill at noticing, more the habit of noticing that just sort of forces you to see differently and to see things that you weren't looking for. And um, and to be in a mindset that's not like, we're, we're just right now as a culture, we're so hardwired to, to it's so important to be paying attention to what everyone else is paying attention to, right? That's the fear of missing out and the trending topics and you know, I check Twitter every day and it's like, ah, oh, these YouTube stars are getting married. And, you know, that's trending. Now I know that. <laughs> Just like everybody else. What am I going to do with that? Like, I, I would be better off if I were reading an 18th century novel and having an insight about one of the characters that led to some uh, indirect, you know, uh, creative path on something that because no one else was reading that novel. It's competitive advantage. Well, the other thing, though, is that you could notice the YouTube YouTube stars getting married and notice something within that that you could then, you know, discuss or yep. write about. And then people – I kind of look at it that, um, you know, as someone who studied comedy, like Jerry Seinfeld, the, the movie Comedian, where he – one of the things he said about what, how com comedians kind of think is like they'll go into an airplane bathroom and the average person will see like the razor disposal unit and go, oh, well, that's clearly there because they forgot to, you know, right. take off the blade, whereas the comedian is 
going and him is going, who is shaving so much that they're going through right. blades on their plane, right? Like, right. so it's all. It, I know the, that bit. The right. wolf man, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pers- but it's perspective, right? Like, I mean, yes. you could look at, um, I guess it's how you internalize this stuff, right? And it's also, I actually mentioned Seinfeld in passing because he's the master. If you're a study comedy, you know that a lot of comedy boils down to noticing something in the everyday. Like I would say most people didn't even notice that razor disposal thing. Like they just, their eyes just glazed over because why would they look at that? Um, and it's that, it's that, it's a, it's a, it starts with being attuned to the world and being present in the world in a way that other people just aren't. And Seinfeld is, a, I mean, he's the king of it. He is the master of, of turning the mundane into value in the form of, in his case, in the form of, of humor. He's, he's absolutely unparalleled at it. Well, he created a show about nothing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you mentioned attunement. I, I really, it's, it's actually something that came up to a professional. Uh, it was actually a, a, a you know, a, a therapist brought it up. The idea of attunement being like bringing into harmony versus like alignment. Because I think of the, the the those two words, and I only bring this up again because I notice this kind of stuff too. I'm more of a word guy. Well, you're a journalist, so you're a writer. You yeah. get this. Um, it's you know people go, oh, I want to be more aligned. I want more alignment. I'm like, wouldn't wouldn't attunement be like what's if you were to look at those two words? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, like just see, so so if you were to look at those two words, which one would you rather be in in alignment or more attuned? What would you mm-hmm. or both? Like I don't know. <laughs> I think attunement is a really interesting. I mean, it's yeah, it, it's a really interesting distinction. Um, but I'm attra- I'm more attracted to the idea of attunement. I think as you're articulate. Yeah. Do you f- know we've been talking about this for for several minutes now? The word time hasn't come up at all. Attention has, uh, you know, efficiency effect. What have you noticed over the past? You know, again through your work that the idea of time management or just you know, how to, how to, you know, craft one's time is the, there's a shift happening where people are more concerned about like, say how they manage their energy or how they manage their attention or how they manage their, you know, to-do list or whatever. Like time seems to be taking, I wouldn't say a back seat, but people are breaking it down or parsing it down to smaller chunks that they can actually have a measure of control over. Cause you can have control over your attention, but time moves on whether you want it to or not. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess that the way that I process the way that other people are thinking about time is I feel that I feel there is kind of an overlap in that if it, it, it's this loss of attention in some ways amounts to a loss of time, right? Like I lost all of a sudden I lost X number of minutes to catching up on Instagram or or, or, or whatever it is. And so people respond to that by, yeah, you can sort of break your day down into these discrete units which I think can be fine for people. Um, uh, and I guess on some level I say in the book, like just imagine spending one hour a week, you know, dedicated to making sure that you're controlling your attention and directing it where you want it to go and not where anyone else wants it to go. So, um, but I, I think that there's an interrelationship between those things, between time and, and attention. And that's, you know, what I was saying earlier, my friend who wants to have more nows, She's getting at the idea of meaningful time versus time flying by and filling time. And Ever found yourself deep in a project, your flow state so intense that the world around you just fades away? That's the magic zone where ideas take flight and your work truly comes to life. But what if, in a blink, it could all disappear? 
Hard drives fail, coffee spills, and yes, even the dreaded accidental delete happens. But fear not, because CrashPlan has your back. Don't wait for disaster to strike. Head over to CrashPlan.com slash TimeCrafting now for a free trial and secure your creations with their limited time buy one, get one offers. Supporting our sponsors means supporting this podcast, so take a moment to check them out. CrashPlan is the superhero of cloud-based data protection, specifically designed for people like us who live and breathe their digital creations. CrashPlan ensures that every file, every idea, and every piece of hard work is safely backed up and protected. With CrashPlan Professional, you get unlimited backup for your computers, not servers or cloud apps, just pure essential data protection for PC, Mac, and Linux. This means your business plans, designs, music, and documents are continuously encrypted and updated in their secure cloud without you lifting a finger. Imagine this, your laptop takes a dive during a late night work session. With CrashPlan, it's not a disaster, it's just a minor hiccup. Their service runs quietly in the background, safeguarding every change you make every 15 minutes. And if the worst happens, your files are just a few clicks away from being restored with unlimited version retention acting as your personal time machine. For businesses, CrashPlan's multi-tenant capabilities are a game changer. Buy as many licenses as you need, manage them with ease, and let your team or your IT admin restore data seamlessly, saving precious time and resources. So go to CrashPlan.com slash TimeCrafting now to sign up for a free trial and take advantage of one of their limited buy one, get one offers for a productive conversation listeners. That's CrashPlan.com slash TimeCrafting. Back up better with CrashPlan. Have you ever looked into fasting and thought, I love the benefits, but I can't go days without eating? Well, that's where Prolon comes in, transforming the fasting experience with a plant-based nutrition program that tricks your cells into thinking they're fasting without actually having to stop eating. Developed through decades of research at the University of Southern California Longevity Institute, Prolon is not just another diet, it's a scientifically backed program designed to support your body's natural processes. Now keep in mind, this isn't about cutting out food, it's about providing your body with the right nutrients to enter a fasting state while still eating. The program includes snacks, soups, and beverages, all carefully designed to support healthy blood sugar levels, cardiovascular health, and even reduce abdominal fat. And the convenience? It's unmatched. Everything you need comes in one box delivered right to your doorstep. Thousands of doctors now recommend Prolon for its health benefits, backed by Nobel Prize winning science. So if you're looking for a way to kickstart your health journey with all the benefits of fasting and none of the hunger, Prolon is the answer. And right now, Prolon is offering a Productive Conversation listeners 10% off their five-day nutrition program. Go to prolonlife.com slash timecrafting. That's P-R-O-L-O-N life.com slash timecrafting for this special offer. Again, that's prolonlife.com slash timecrafting. Check it out today. Ever caught yourself marveling at the seamless magic of everyday tech, like how noise-canceling headphones block out the world or the sheer bliss of meeting-free Fridays? Now imagine if there was a way to bring that kind of magic into selling online. Well, guess what? There is, and it's called Shopify. 
From the moment you decide to launch your online shop to opening your first physical store and even when you're pinching yourself because yes, you just hit a million orders, Shopify is there to guide your growth. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or the latest productivity tools, Shopify supports you everywhere with their all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. The checkout, oh, it's a breeze for your customers, converting up to 36% better than other platforms. And with Shopify Magic, your AI-powered assistant, you're selling more with way less effort. And you won't be alone in your Shopify journey because Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., supporting giants like Allbirds and Brooklinen and millions of entrepreneurs across 175 countries. Their award-winning support is always there, making sure businesses that grow, Grow with Shopify, and yours can be one of those businesses. And for those looking to level up, Shopify's endless integrations and third-party apps from on-demand printing to chatbots ensure your business is always ahead of the curve. So what are you waiting for? Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash timecrafting, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash timecrafting now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash timecrafting. Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. Okay, we're going to take a break from the podcast to talk about our sponsor for this episode, Front. I am in love with this app, and it's really changed the way that I view how you really can't use email as a task manager because there's a lot of elements of front that allow you to do that. I like to think of it's that bridge between, you know, your communication platform and your to-do list or your task management platform. Now front was founded in 2013. And while there were many things that the team that felt that they could improve about email, the major pain point that front went after was the email wasn't designed for the way that people work with teams today. I know that I'm working with my team uh, in a new way, thanks to front. And by adding collaboration and accountability and transparency to email front really has taken email out of its silo. And I'm a now make no mistake. I'm a fan of silos usually. But what I love is when a silo like when things can bridge the gap. You know what I mean? And front email powers workflows and productivity and they help teams accomplish more together. And and. That's helping my team. Front is helping my team without question. Uh, you have forwards, uh, CCs and BCCs just add to the chaos of your inbox. But with Front, there's some accountability there. And so the the lack of accountability without having Front in there, it kind of leads to missed messages and balls being dropped and, and work being duplicated. 
And one of the things that I used to do is I used to take emails and I'd put them into my task management app. And then I have the email message here and the task management app here. And it took an extra step. And when I work with clients, that's often what they say is, well, why would I take something out of email when I can just, you know, and and put it in a task app when I can just work on it in email? Well, the problem with email is that there's so many things coming at you all the time that things can get lost in the shuffle. Uh, But with with front and, and it just doesn't happen. It hasn't happened with my team since we've started using it. So really what's happening here is front is reinventing email for the way that teams work with new workflows, efficient collaboration, and all the communications channels in one place. Nearly 5,000 businesses rely on their front inboxes to accomplish more as a team. We are one of those businesses. So, and, and by the way, it doesn't mean that you just use front. If you want to use another CRM or a project management tool to respond, there are more than 50 app integrations that are right there in your inbox. We use that as well. I've actually had uh, my social media stuff. So my direct messages from Twitter, they come in there. Some of my Facebook management tools come in there, which is really, really important because then it keeps me out of Facebook and keeps me focused on the tasks at hand. And I'm able to drag things to my assistant to have her work on them. Even things that are in my own personal personal inbox. I get a lot of emails that come to my personal email that I need to, that I don't need to deal with. So I just, instead of forwarding it to my task app and so on and so forth, I can just drag it uh, to assign it to her and drag it into that area so that way she can work on it. There's so many things that you can do with front. I'm a huge fan. I know you will be too. Um, So what I want to offer you is this free trial. If you go to frontapp.com slash timecrafting, you can start your free trial today. And and with Front, you can get started for just nine bucks a month. But the free trial, give it a go. I know you'll like it. I like it. It is a way to transform your work and make email part of the workflow in, in a way that it really I've never seen it happen before. Uh, there's just some seamlessness there that you just can't get f- that Front offers. And, uh, you know, if you want to save an average of six hours per week, with using front. That's the average that front is. And I I can say that we're saving time and energy and our attention is going to the right place. So again, I can't say enough great things about front. You get your free trial frontapp.com slash timecrafting. Start that free trial today. You will not regret it. I'd like to thank front for sponsoring this episode of the productivity podcast. Now let's get back to the show. But attention is that thing that we, we can control. And so is like noticing like how, why don't you, why is this book important right now? Other than the fact that we live in the world that you mentioned, there've been a lot of distractions that are going on, which yes, absolutely. I know a lot about, but why, why is this book matter? Like, why did you write the book now? And again, there's this never ending quality to noticing. What do you hope people get out of the book that will allow them to kind of keep noticing or spend more of their attention in, in that space of noticing than maybe they have before? Well, we've touched on some of these things, but I think that there is this, you know, sort of panic about our attention being under assault. There is this kind of panic about, am I being productive enough? And there is this kind of obsession with making sure you know what everyone else is talking about, right? So those three things together, you know, end up in a kind of sort of almost tunnel vision thing that it creates where I just think that it traps people in a situation where they're unlikely to be innovative. They're unlikely to think of something that's different and new. They're unlikely to tune into the world in a way that others haven't tuned into it. And so what I'm trying to accomplish is, as I said earlier, I, I think these more draconian solutions of going on a digital detox, while interesting, are maybe over demonizing technology and also maybe not realistic. I mean, a lot of us can't, I, I can't just take a month off from, you know, I can't. Um, but 
I can give myself permission to take a little bit of time now and then and to feel good about it and to feel like, oh, spotting the weirdest thing at Walmart isn't a stupid waste of time. It's a, it's a, a fun game and it's be kind of building my attention muscles, right? Getting me in this habit of tuning into the world in a way that's idiosyncratic, outsider-ish, and more likely to lead to insight. Um, not that spotting the weirdest thing at Walmart will immediately turn into insight, but it's building that habit. It's uh, building the habit and feeling good about it and feeling like approaching the world with a childlike sense of wonder from time to time is not only okay, it's kind of cool, and it's probably necessary if you want to um, ultimately stand out because ultimately every profession comes down to being about breaking out of the pack, right? We're obsessed with being in the pack sometimes, but you don't really succeed until you break out of the pack and you're doing something that no one else is doing. How many other ways that you came up with did not make it into the book? 131 <laughs> seems like a pretty, yeah, I, noticed, I noticed that's a pretty arbitrary number. <laughs> yeah. So the number, there were, there were definitely more, I don't, I don't know. There were 30 or 40 more probably. And we settled on this number in a funny way. Um, because we did talk about, uh, should it be a hundred, should it be 101? And we kind of settled on the cosmopolitan magazine theory of just like an unusual number is actually kind of, <laughs> kind of attention getting. And it also felt like we have, we did happen to feel good about this batch. Um, like it was the right balance, the right mix. Uh, but yeah, there were some on the cutting room floor, plenty. And, uh, I have not yet. Some of eventually, all of those I'll use in the newsletter. I haven't been using them in the newsletter yet, but I I do. Once the book is actually out, I'll be addressing this. I was again. You've got got a year's worth of uh, of of, uh, additional ones. Probably, (laughs) yeah. So you've already started to craft the content for that. Uh, If people are going to pick up this book, which they will, uh, and again, link in the show notes. you know, there, it, it's not the type of book where you have to go through it, you know, all in one sitting. You know, there's the, the opening, which I, I strongly recommend right. you go through, but then you can kind of pick and choose and cherry pick. Uh, what was there? I'm going to ask you two questions here. Which one is, which of the 131 stands out to you is like the, okay, this is the perfect gateway. And then secondly, which is the one that seems the most, that stands out in your head or that you can remember that's the most unconventional? The Walmart one keeps coming up, but is there another one that you can think of? <laughs> um, Okay, so the gateway one, first of all, thanks for picking up on the idea that we did design the book explicitly in a way that you can, you can flip around, you can read it in any order you want. There is a logic to the, to the order if you want to read it in order, but I realized that this was kind of a, in a, in a funny way, this was a concession to people's limited attention spans. <laughs> we just acknowledge that if you just want to flip around, flip around. Um, I, but I do start with what I consider the gateway one, which is the sort of the single object scavenger hunt, which uh, it's very easy to do. And it uh, relates directly to the Genesis story of the, of the book in some ways, which is just one time I was on a trip in San Francisco, a city I know fairly well. I wasn't going to have a lot of time to do any real sightseeing. Um, but I'm all, I was also kind of over the, like, I'm no longer dazzled by San Francisco architecture, although it is dazzling and beautiful. It's a great place. But I was like, I want to, I want to give myself an assignment to like, look for one thing everywhere I go. And it, my only parameter is it has to be something that no one wants me to look for. And so I chose security cameras 
And it ended up being this, as I talk about in the book, this really enlightening experience of like, it made me look at the city in a different way. And it made me think about surveillance technology in a different way and so on. So I, I recommend that as a gateway because you can pick any one thing, like it can be certain kind of number or uh, typography or a certain kind of window or architectural detail, or it can be neighborhood watch sign or just, you know, some odd thing. Um, it, it starts to get you into that habit and you have fun with it and you notice things and it just shifts your perspective. The weirdest ones, um, it's a good question. Um, a lot of them are inspired by artists and writers and I'll pick one that's, um, that came directly from a Hemingway, uh, challenge, which is, you know, everything with Hemingway is a challenge. Like he's so macho, uh, but he tells this story about how, or he, he sort of brags that like, if you're someone like me, you know, you walk into a room and you walk out and you can remember every detail of it, but you should also remember how it made you feel. And you should be able to describe that feeling and, and, and identify everything in that room that contributed to that feeling. So, uh, so I turned this into an exercise called hunt for a feeling. So that's like pretty advanced, right? <laughs> but it's fascinating to think about. And especially if you're in a moment, what it happens in real life is that you're in a moment when you're in a place and like, oh, wow, I, I do feel, I feel uneasy or I feel, feel really good to stop and examine that moment and listen, smell the air, you know, like look around. Is it the people? Is it the architecture? Is it what's going on here? Um, so that's a little bit out there, but, um, but pretty fun. And, you know, Hemingway was a pretty good noticer. I was going to say the other, uh, I was, I was hoping you're going to say, you know, just get drunk and then later try to, re- you have the hangover thing in there though. So that's very Hemingway-esque. Um, now people are like, what's the hangover? You got to pick up the book. Last question. And I think this is definitely relating to the idea of noticing, um, cause it's something I do and it's something I recommend people do that as a productivity practice seems rather either unconventional or undervalued. Do you journal? And if so, how? Wow. Uh, in a way I do, I have this, I have this project that's been going on for many years that I've never talked about publicly. I don't think I, I'm a big obituary reader. (laughs) This is like, where's he going with this? I'm a big obituary reader and I have for years and years, decades, 25 years now, I think kept a kind of journal noting the deaths of notable people that had some kind of meaning to me and where I heard about it and how I heard about it and what that person, and it could be like just recently sitcom actress, uh, who was on Mary Tyler Moore show playing the character Georgette passed away. So I recorded thoughts about that. And so that, that, and so in, into that, I incorporate some things about what's going on in my life right now. And it's a little bit of a um, life in death. Um, situation. This is probably like the weirdest answer you've ever had to this question, <laughs> but it's true. That's this, to the extent that I journal. That's what I, that's what I do. I track, I, I use that as a prompt to like make myself. And that's the reason I do it in some ways is that um, I've, I've tried many kinds of journaling things and I, and I just, they peter out after a, a week or two. I just don't have the discipline for it. But this one, um, because I like, I want to record, Oh, I do have some thoughts about that. And it makes me think about my childhood and watching that show with my parents and things like that. And then I can relate that to what's going on in my life right now. Um, it's a, for whatever reason, it's a, it's a use, been a useful prompt for me. Well, it's mortality too. It's an exercise in mortality, right? I mean, with relation to time, like it just shows you that you don't know. I mean, 
who died not, uh Luke Perry died not too long ago, right? Like, I mean, that's yeah. that's somebody that you're like, holy crow, I'm that. I had a I'm, long entry on that. I one. bet. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I've had conversations with friends recently. Like, we've got some friends that are getting married for the first time or the second time, but we're I'm at 45. Uh, we're at an age where we're going, we're, we're leaving the realm of going to more weddings and seeing births of people and heading more towards the realm of, oh, wow, these people are passing away and attending funerals. So it's really sure. a, interesting. Sure. So I definitely get the, the the prompting is important, too. I think that that whatever you can use as a prompt. But I'm, I'm imagining, too, because of the way that you spend time noticing that there's other journaling that you wouldn't really consider journaling more chronicling than anything else. Yes. And I do. I mean, I also carry a traditional, like just a notebook that I, you know, put ideas in um, and observations on a more random, but it's, it's just not very disciplined. Um, Right. It's uh, just kind of, as you notice things, I would imagine. Yeah. And, and in a funny way, I guess this, this newsletter, now that it's kind of become a different animal because of the book like i am doing it more regularly and that becomes a place where you're chronicling things you've noticed or things that people have said to me or whatnot which becomes a kind of form of public journal i guess in a way that in a way that blogs and twitter and so on can be but i've uh in in recent years this this newsletter is scratching that itch more than anything else that i do online well, this book that I'm holding in my hands will definitely scratch the itch for those who want to spend more time noticing and, and getting behind the art of noticing. And that's the name of the book, The Art of Noticing, 130 way, 31 Ways to Spark Creativity, Find Inspiration, and Discover Joy in the Everyday. You can pick up this book wherever books are sold, Amazon, you know, your, go to your local bookstore, independent bookstore, you can pick it up there. Uh, Rob, where else can people find you? The newsletter, I'm guessing, is where you're going to send people, but where can people find you to keep up with your work so they can notice more of what you do? Um, oh, I have a site, robwalker.net, which if you go to robwalker.net slash noticing, that's where I'm kind of going to keep everything related to the, you know whatever developments there are around this project. And that will include a link to the newsletter. Uh, sign up if you want to do that. Um, on Twitter, I'm not Rob Walker, which always confuses people. Uh, but I, I am Rob Walker. It's at not Rob Walker. Twitter's good. Um, those are the those are the best places, though. And and at robwalker.net/slash/noticing, there will always be the latest about you know anything related to this subject, talks and things like that, and media stuff. So um, that's a good place to tune in. Awesome, Rob. Thanks for joining me so much today on the Productivities Podcast. Well, listen, I can't thank you enough. I really enjoyed it. Big thanks to Rob for joining me on the show today. I had a great time chatting with him. All of the the relevant links are in the show notes, as well as some of the other talking points that we discussed. Thanks to Connie for putting those together, by the way. Uh, and, and thanks to John Polster for producing the show. John and I actually have been working together for a really long time. And there are moments where even though I record the episodes well in advance that I tend to get uh, uh, behind. And so what I love about John is that, you know, he he kicks me in the butt when I need it. And uh, a big thanks to him. He's uh, without without John Polster, this show would not happen. John and I actually look at the ratings and reviews uh, fairly uh, frequently. We have meetings every once in a while. And, and what I'm actually going to ask to this is a nice little segue into if you enjoyed the show and you want to leave a rating or review for the show, please do so in Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to podcasts because we take a look at those, and uh, you know we we take the feedback, the the good and the not so good, and we use it. 
So uh, if, if you're so inclined, leave a rating and review for the show in your uh, podcast app of choice. And also if you're you know, enjoying the show and you don't want to miss a single one. It comes out every single week. Uh, just subscribe. Subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to the show. And that way you can make sure you don't miss a single episode. Oh, I also want to thank our sponsor for this episode. And that's Front. Front sponsored this episode. I love Front. You, you heard me talk about them before. Uh, Front is fantastic. Uh, you, you need to get this free trial. Frontapp.com slash timecrafting. Start your free trial today if you're ready to transform your team's productivity and have more efficient and effective email and make your communication on the whole better. Again, I, I can't extol the virtues of Front enough. So check them out. Frontapp.com slash timecrafting. Start that free trial today. That's it for this episode of the show. Thanks so much for joining me. Until next time, this is Mike Vardy, the host of the Productivityist Podcast, reminding you to stop guessing and start going. See you later.